they put helipad stickers. The, the guys that went to the North Pole had big helipad stickers on the helicopters, so we got some great shots of that. But, uh, and they used the app navigating up, you know, up through Norway. You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each episode, we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to rotarywingshow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Rotary Wing Show and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. G'day gang, I'm literally sitting here at Brisbane Airport right now waiting to catch a flight to Rockhampton. But sadly, no Qantas Club for me as I'm just a a lowly broke flight instructor. But I am making the most of the chance to get caught up on several things, including getting this episode together and out the door for you guys. So bear with me if there's any boarding calls in the background, but we'll just work through it. We are heading back to the UK this time around to chat about a useful app for helicopter pilots that you might want to check out. We delve into how the app came about and how it's progressed from there and built up a bit of a community. A quick plug for our episode sponsors, trainmorepilots.com, before we get into the interview. If you need to help marketing your aviation company or organisation, then make sure to check out the resources at trainmorepilots.com. Let's get into the episode, and I'll give you an update on World Helicopter Day on the other side. All right, Paddy Wills, thanks very much for having the time to talk to us today. So you're the founder of a mobile phone app called um, HeliPaddy, and we'll get into some details about the app and the features and, and things like that uh, shortly. But uh, how did it all start, though? How did you get into the flying game? It was a case of having a bit of time to do my license, really. I had a six-month window between jobs when I was on gardening leave and decided to do my first license. And I chose helicopters because I don't really like airfields and um, completed that probably around eight years ago. Maybe it's 10 years ago in a little R22. Did the uh, private pilot's license here in, in the UK at an airfield called Denham with a company called HQ. Uh, and my instructor was a chap called Q. who's quite well known in the, in the helicopter world. And it was a case of, of really wanting things to do, I guess, around Denham once I got my pilot's license. So you did your, your private then, so it was always going to be for your own sort of enjoyment then? Yeah, I, I don't think I want to become a commercial pilot. I mean, I have other interests in life. And in fact, it's really nice to have it as a, as a hobby. I can go flying when I want to. Uh, rather than when I have to. Um, so uh, it, I've stopped at being a, a PPL. Sure. And we were, we'll probably get into it later on, but um, you're talking about you know one of the upcoming trips you guys are planning. Just to give folks an idea, what have you done you know, flying-wise? Uh, where have you been and what sort of things have you done in the last sort of eight years that people have been interested oh, well, in? Well, I suppose, I suppose um, in fact, when I uh, first got my licence, I did quite a lot of flying, uh, and I mean... I reckon it was probably 300 hours of flying either in the back or in the um, passenger side of the helicopter with Q and other instructors doing, going along on, on pretty adventurous trips. We went, to the, um, we went to the northernmost part of Norway. This is 
years ago when I just started. Norway's a, a kind of, it's an incredible place to discover. Uh, it's not really on the tourist map, at least for UK uh, people, but it's amazing. And flying up that western coast is absolutely fantastic with the fjords going in. There's all sorts of hazards, like it's well known for its wires that dangle across the fjords. And in fact, when the clouds load low, you can see the wire coming out of the cloud in a loop and then going back into the clouds. So it's, it's got some real sort of technical challenges. But if you go in June or towards the end of June, uh, you get um, 24 hour sunlight. So if you haven't got a night license, it's a great place to fly. Yeah, fair enough. I don't consider that. But yeah, but like my picture of those, yeah, deep fjords with a, you know, tiny little cruise boat uh, for, for scale, um, which is quite a, you know, obviously a large cruise boat. But yeah, that's my sort of mental image of fjords in, in Norway. So the, and I think the other place I've been to quite a lot is Wales and Scotland. And um, in Wales, we have done some uh, mountain flying training, which is really being sympathetic to, to the wind, I guess, and to the power of the helicopter. And we've done a bit of that in Scotland, but the, the real Scotland is one of the best places to fly in the world, apparently. I haven't flown everywhere in the world, but I've flown with people who pretty much have, and it's right up there as a top three. And I guess the reason, oh, and obviously it's... From, a, from a scenery, scenery? You was going to say from a scenery yeah, point of view it, or a technical? It, it, I, no, it's, it's the scenery. You know, you have um, clear blue water, white beaches, and no people, no houses, no radio. And it's a very free place to fly. You can, with very changing scenery, uh, lots and lots of islands. makes it fascinating. Um, but you do need the good weather. Have you got your own machine, Paddy? I do, actually. I have an R44, fully loaded clipper with floats. Um, it's actually got instrument equipment on it, bladder tanks. Bubble windows, the works. Um, we, we, um, I bought it as part of a small syndicate of people, and we originally we wanted the floats because we thought we would try and do commercial flying up and down the Thames, and you need floats for that. We've never done that, in fact. But um, it's a great machine, and uh, my God, it's been everywhere. <laughs> and this is did this machine go to the North Pole? So one of these trips we talked about. No, you said, but- okay. No, the North Pole trip was something that was organized by um, some, a group of Russian guys, and it was in 66s. Okay. Back to this idea then of obviously the, the phone app, and we'll go into the details. So the app is called uh, Helipaddy, and uh, yeah, did you have a couple of different names, or did that one you know, suddenly come to mind, obviously you, you know, tying with your name and, and obviously helipads, or is there a couple of other contenders for the, for the name? Oh, I haven't been asked that before. No, I think that was a that was a first go actually straight in there. I think someone probably called me that as a nickname. But oh, we did have a meeting actually. Come to think of it, we did have a meeting because we thought someone said, "Oh, you should never have a business that's got your name in it." Um, well, I blew that one. And someone else said, "Oh, it doesn't sound very serious. Uh, you can't have helipad. It's not 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 a serious name." So uh, in the end, we did stick with it. And actually, I don't regret it. I think it's quite nice people only a few people know uh, that i started it so a lot of people don't know that it's got my name in it really and um i think it's uh, pretty much says you know says what it does on the tin 
Yeah, it's easy, memorable, things like that. So, yeah, okay, well, let's go. You know, obviously, you're, you've done your, your license and you're looking for places around, and, and then there was a, you know, now there's an app. What was the what was the middle bit? How did you get the idea, and, and what were the steps in, in getting that launched? Well, that's because I have a computer sort of, I, I would spell, well, I have a degree in computer science, so I've always had a natural interest in it. I absolutely adore the technology and you know, all, all around sort of the internet and apps. And um, I've now managed to have my own business where we can actually develop a suite of different apps in, in different sectors, and this is one of those. So the, it was very natural. For, I, uh, you know, I like systems. I like being organized. It was very natural use of the internet, um, a sort of database of locations. It fits very well. It's, very, it's a very pleasing sort of project for, for the internet and for mobile. Yes. Yeah, um, in fact, we, were, we can probably use a, the similar the platform, the software behind that platform for, for, for other kind of vertical sectors. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's a nice sort of combination of something, you know, pilots and aircrew are going to have with them. And, uh, yeah, the whole mobile and GPS, everything is sort of converging into a, a mobile phone. I mean, I can remember quite clearly um, five, ten years ago thinking about the uh, weather on a Friday and how it was going to be a great weekend and how we would do a fly flying trip somewhere like Wales and not really knowing where to go. So asking around the aero club and getting a few suggestions and then Googling it and finding a few more and looking up a place and finding someone's put on one of the rumor networks that you can land there and someone else has put that you can't land there and you ring them up and this sort of thing. And then, you know, a year later, uh, it's another summer, we're going to go to Wales again and we start at the beginning, you know, to do go through the whole process again. And it, it seemed to me like a very sort of fragmented bit of market. You know, it's, there was a lots of information in the public domain, some of it in people's heads, some of it on various deep within various forums. And it really bothered me that it wasn't available in one place. And actually, when we set out to develop Helipaddy, my vision was that it was a data company. It's not really a mobile. It's a, you know, someone could, could probably do a better app. But um, what Helipaddy is, is really a data a company. And I mean, every single day, I've just been um, in the office this morning, and we've had about 14, well, I say exactly 14 because I checked before the call, We've had 14 new additions. Well, that's in one day, and they'll never go away. They're in the helipaddy now, and that's it. They are locked in. No one needs to go and find them again. They're there for everyone. So it's just goes, it's a one-way data gathering exercise. And is most of it crowdsourced, or are you, do you have a team who actively goes out and uh, you know, finds the places and, and puts the data in? How, how's the database built up? Well, that's changing a bit. I mean, I think the original model was that the community was, it would be a crowdsourced database. In fact, what we did was we uh, sort of bootstrapped it. So we had some interns who sat around a table uh, in the old days, um, and we just did, I would say, 50 phone calls a day, ringing hotels. We went, we took a number of guides, so we created a shortlist, and then we started dialing. We've got the database structure very well organized very early on. And we kicked it off with about a thousand sites. And from there, since then, it's been a bit of a combination of us finding them 
and much more recently, it's probably swinging towards the community. I would say probably 50% now is community and 50% is us. Okay, so there's two things I might come back to there is, is that community idea and uh, how yeah. people can actually add, um, uh, you know, add entries and add telepads to it. With the, and I guess this is a, a very auditory <laughs> medium, but to describe the operation of the app, um, I've downloaded and had a, had a bit of a play with it. But uh, if you're, you know, describing it over the phone to someone, kind of how you would pick it up and, and use it, you know, pre-flight or in the air or, or, you know, actively go and use it to plan a flight. Can you describe kind of the interface and how that works? Yeah, I mean, we, we, it's all about the map because um, people like to move a map around the screen. Well, I do anyway. And so it's really about seeing points on a map. You can search for places, you can search for postcodes, and you can search for specific names of hotels, for example. But most people, um, uh, most of the time I'm using it, I know roughly where I'm going. So in fact, on Friday, I'm going down to the south of France, my helicopter. I want to land somewhere for lunch. So I'm going to scroll the map somewhere uh, just south of Paris. And I can see here that there are one, two, three, four places that look like possibles for south of Paris. And that's mostly how it's used. And then we designed it, the interface is designed to be a kind of a pilot tool. So there is a way to use this in the air. And we have this, um, our phones on the site click on a mount. And if you press and hold one of the sites, it draws a line to it and gives you some distance and weather information at the destination. So it gives you your Q&H and your wind speed. I mean, the main thing I want to know is my, is my wind direction and speed at, at my destination. So it gives you that straight up. And um, as you go along, if you've got it open in front of you, it automatically, we call it safari mode, but it automatically pops up a label of things that are in your field of view. So as you're flying along, I shall tell you that um, uh, you, typically we try to design it to roughly coincide with when you see something interesting. So if you see a big chalk horse carved into the side of a hill and you look at the screen, you'll probably see it's popped up, the white horse, and a little bit of a description of it. Okay, so, so that could just be a, that could just be a point really of interest. To make it more, yeah, you're cruising along and it, it just pops up things as, you, as you're flying towards them. Okay. And I was just thinking about then, because you said, you know, it's a, almost a data company rather than an app company. Is there ability or are you thinking about like a third party or APIs where people who have something like ForeFlight or Oz Runways or another kind of application where they could, you know, suck in the locations or import the locations somehow? Absolutely. I mean, we, we as I said earlier about this being a data business, so we make that data available as easily as we we can within reasonable limits um but uh one of the more popular apps over in europe is called sky demon um so uh, you can upload your helipaddy sites uh, as waypoints into sky demon um we have an api as well so third-party developers who want to access our data can just access uh, uh, we have a restful api so we're very keen for people to use that. I mean, that's, that's no problem at all. We'd love to speak to ForeFlight, uh, have them display our waypoints in ForeFlight. I have used it a bit. We did some research in the Bahamas, flying around the Bahamas for Helipaddy, and um, we used ForeFlight for that. 
But uh, at the moment, we cover off most options by giving a download, allowing you to download a file in, in KML and GPX formats. Okay, sure. And, and CSV. Uh, some basic stats, I know it's hard to you know give out details for um, downloads and things like that, but back to the, the community side of things, can you give folks some kind of indication of you know sort of how much support is out there or, or how big that community of users is? Well, we uh, we don't give away sort of you know live user figures, but I can give you a feel for that. I mean, the I mean, f- firstly, we have an extremely high conversion rate into pilots. So, if a pilot hears about Helipaddy and downloads it, it's uh, we reckon it's probably around ninety percent conversion into him registering. Okay, that's so. Yeah, it's it's extremely high, but I mean, you might expect that in an extremely narrow sort of market sector. So we get a very, very high conversion rate. And it's quite nice in a way for us because we don't have to do much advertising. I mean, if anything, we probably, we would probably see ourselves as selling adverts than, than buying adverts uh, one day. But the, um, so we have an extremely high conversion rate. And then, and then the, uh, the question is then, you know, who are the contributors and who aren't? I mean, we definitely have a large body of people who who don't really, they don't add their own sites. They don't particularly use the friends feature. They just want the guide. They just want to be able to switch it on and see where they can go. So they are, you know, real consumers of the data. They're not in, in, involved in the community side of it. And I would say that's probably, at the moment, that is around seven out of 10 users, I would say, are probably pretty much pure consumers. So they're very happy to pay our annual subscription and they just get the, they just get the service. Yeah, I mean, that's probably pretty similar to most online services, whether forums or anything anyway. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then um, we, I would say one out of 10 are sort of real evangelists. And uh, that's very obvious because they add a ton of sites and they create lots of friends and they, uh, and they use the app and they tweet about us and they send us little stories. And, um, you know, those, those guys, we love those guys. I mean, you can imagine it's, it's great fun, you know, to have people really engage with it and they get, you know, they get the app. Um, and then there's a, there's probably two out of ten who are sort of maybe it's more like three out of ten who are slightly getting into it. The more they use it, we've issued this app with no instruction or manual or user guide. So we are releasing information about some of the functionality up to a year after we actually put it into the app. So it's actually rather heavy on functionality, and we are gradually releasing sort of tips, if you like. And we did to try and encourage more people setting up more friend groups. We introduced, uh, we, we, we've basically done a, a connection with a system called Co-Position, which means you can, I can see where my friends are flying around right now live, and it's cross-platform. So it's, it's better in a way than find my friends on Apple because it works regardless of what platform you're using, whether you're using Android or Apple. Um, so if I look at my phone right now, let's have a little look here. I can see this is a lot of fun. I've got a friend who's uh, currently in uh, near Poitiers in France. 
I've got uh, Jack, who works for the team. He's actually not in a helicopter, but he's right now he's in Nice. And uh, one of my team is down in Oz. I can see him. I go all the way down to Oz. I can see where he is. He's running helipaddy. And he looks like he is in Sydney somewhere near uh, Bondi. Yep. And this sort of thing. And I got, so, got, so that's great fun. I mean, that's when you're doing heli trips with other helicopters, you can see where everyone is. And that's a, that's a cool thing. And we think that will, we think that will probably take off uh, quite a lot. And it encourages people to create friends and share site, private sites with each other. Okay, so I'll just mention the, the, the website address um, so folks can check it out too. So don't forget, we'll mention it again at the end, but helipaddy.com. And that yeah. uh, private site, so you can actually upload, say you're you know, a company pilot or something like that, or you had your, your, you know, your favorite fishing spot, you can upload spots and share them within a, a select group, then it doesn't have to be. Yes, it's, exactly. It's very important. I mean, I, I actually, I reckon 50% of our users don't realize that. So we're going to try and make that clear in some of our newsletters. But you can use this app without paying a cent. You get all the, well, a lot of the functionality. Uh, you get the co-position, uh, friend tracking, uh, and you can create, you can enter 10,000 airfields if you want um, and share them with your friends. Um, you can share them with a thousand friends. We don't have no limits on the number of sites you can add, the number of friends you can add. And we, we will never, you know, they'll never be in the database. We find people quite, for whatever reason, they quite like to share places generally. Um, but sometimes there are very personal places, maybe, maybe places that aren't really public landing sites um, that people don't, don't particularly share. I've, I've got a bunch of sites I, I share with friends that are not in the helipad database. Um, so, yeah, you, you can use it like that. But the, 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 other, the second important thing to know, and it's really quite fundamental to helipad, is that once they are in the helipad database, they are moderated. So um, we have a team up here in London which does the moderation. So you can't, it's, it's only good data. We can, it can go out of date and we miss that. That can happen because we don't re-moderate old, all 5,000 sites every year. But new sites that come in, we check. It's a, we, we check all the landing information. Um, we speak to the hotel. And we have a system, uh, it's quite a clever sort of background system, which is emailing the owners, asking them to check the details. It's all automated. So, um, you know, one way or another, we're probably sending out four or 500 emails a day, automated, just constantly checking the data is correct. Okay, sure. And when you, yeah, when you open the app and you're looking at the world map, you know, there's certain clusters. So, you know, the UK and, and France are absolutely chockers full of different sites yeah. and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it spreads out. And that's why I was wondering about the Bahamas because, yeah, there's a little cluster of um, sites there in, in uh, of Florida uh, and other bits and pieces around the world. So, yeah, there's a couple of interesting ones. Though. And it's like when you, know, you first discover Google Earth for the first time, you go and look at all these different places. But, um, you know, there's ones there in the Kruger National Park and, there's a one in, in Chicago. It must be like the world's biggest H. It's this massive H on the ground there at the helipad in Chicago. And uh, uh, Moscow. That was that, yeah, Moscow. I mean, we have, um, we actually had a Russian guy. In fact, we have a lot of sites in Moscow. I was going to say, uh, we, there's a lot in, in the city. Like, there's not normally that much helicopter parking available in a, in a, in a city center like that. Yeah, no, Moscow's a pretty good place for flying, actually. And um, we have, um, 
some some I would say evangelists who love helipaddy. Um, in fact, we had we um, they put helipaddy stickers. The, the guys that went to the North Pole had big helipaddy stickers on the helicopters, so we got some great shots of that. But, uh, and they used the app um, for navigating up, you know, up through Norway. But the the we um, in Moscow we have we actually have about 150 sites, believe it or not, around Moscow. All, that all have been entered, but then the guy, our, our Russian guy, he, he had to go. And so we're looking to get another Russian speaker um, to moderate those sites. So you'll see quite a lot of activity over the next few months in, in Moscow. Those, those start to appear. In the comments, I like the comments. There's, there's a, a place in uh, Cambria in the UK called Beria. And, uh, you know, the, the little comments said that you can get a, a How do you spell it? Oh, Beria, I think it is. B-E-R-R-I-E-R. But anyway, the comments say you know you can get a, a lift to the to the local pub and uh, you know there's camping and there's a, a land donate or instead of a landing fee there's a landing donation for a, a charity. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's just a couple of little interesting places like that. And now, there's some great places like that. I mean, we have places where the where you 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 only have to pay a landing fee if you wear a yellow jacket. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, yeah, what what are some of the stories that you get back, or what are some of the feedback you or the interesting things you you hear from users? Uh, well, we—I mean—we get quite a lot of um, positive comments about the hotels, but actually, you know, we can't really take credit for that. Um, <laughs> okay. um, but I think people are grateful to be able to try out new places, and I think you know we, we do make that much easier than it ever was before. And um, we're starting to see a lot of people commenting, either on sort of specifics around the landing or. You know, speak to Bill if you uh, want to bring your dog or sort of stuff like this. We we do a lot of flying with dogs, so we we try to uh, we tag places that are dog friendly, so we can you know you can actually quite easily find dog friendly places too. And we get, I guess, it's fun to see people adding landing sites in in kind of wacky places. And um, the um, it, it it once once. Once we get a, a, a decent collection of sites, say, down the coast of Italy, then we can start to produce. We also have a trips side of the business, so we can start to produce curated trips uh, in a particular region. So we, we tend to have a big push in an area every so often. We just had a big push in Greece, actually. And we get uh, feedback, uh, to, uh, quite a lot of feedback, like, you know, the guy was not friendly don't land here, land here instead. Uh, we get stuff like that. And uh, we get quite a bit of feedback about landing fees. There's a general feeling that it's, it's unreasonable to charge landing fees if you're staying. So places that charge these big landing fees for no particular reason, they, they pretty quickly get noticed. We could probably produce a list of those if we really wanted to. Places which charge very high landing fees. Um, <laughs> Well, there's one. What's the, what's the one in the middle of uh, London that had a uh, uh, pretty high? Battersea. Like, yeah, it was like was it fifteen hundred? Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah, I mean that's that's sort of fair enough because they because of noise restraints, they're only allowed I think it's ten thousand movements or something like that every year. So they basically have to divide their total running cost by ten thousand, yeah, and that sure. that gives them the landing fee. I mean that 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 is slightly. But there are hotels where even if you stay. They just feel, because it's a helicopter, that they can somehow tax the pilot. We can put a stop to that pretty quickly because we explain to those hotels that by charging a fee, 
it means that there is a contract that has been entered into between the pilot and the hotel. And then we ask them, what are the terms of that contract? And that, they generally then say, well, look, let's don't bother. Nice. Um, so, yeah, so that's typically how we deal with that, that problem. So on the itinerary side, then, so folks will be able to come along at some stage, um, I don't know if that's now or if it's a future thing, and say, okay, well, look, I'm thinking about doing a, you know, a tour, a heli tour from the UK to, to Greece or whatever it is, and, and be able yep. to pick up a, an itinerary and, and say, you know, here's where I'll get fuel, here's where I'll stay for accommodation. Right now, we provide that as a service to our premium members for, for nothing. Oh, okay. So if we get a call from a premium, uh, and we're, we're doing it actually, we're, right now we're doing something in Scandinavia, and as I mentioned, Greece. But if you're one of our premium members and you said, I'm, I'm going to northern France for the, a long weekend with my girlfriend, um, can you suggest some places and, and even a little, a little itinerary? We will do all of that for, for, for nothing. Okay. Very, that's pretty unique. Um, yeah. you're, you're about to launch in, in Australia. So you, will you have a, a full-time person out here or what, what's the arrangement when you go and launch in a, in a new area? Is that mainly just to get some initial content there? Well, Australia is quite a big heli market. It's got a, um, a, another special property, which is that there are a lot of landing places and the, and the distances are big and the weather's good and this sort of thing. So Australia, I think, would be a fun place for us to, to really get it going. And um, one of our team members, who's called Erez, uh, was, uh, ha- has just arrived. He's just arrived in Sydney. Um, and he is going to be looking at trying to get, uh, you know, a, a dozen pilots or charter companies interested in the app, and then we're going to start filling that out. So we expect we expect a decent amount of growth in in Australia and New Zealand, and um, you know we really hope to get that going. I mean, we think it's um, the, the the kind of culture down there will embrace something like this. Okay, and if people want to have their sites added. Uh, what's the easiest way? Is it through the app or is there a web uh, interface or web form to do that? Or they can email well, it we, we, I, I would love to people to, to have no fear of adding places. You know, we, we try to make that the, the, the friction zero. So you can, if you just email support at com and say, great pub here, we'll find out where it is and we'll add it. The next way to do it is to go to a, a website, which is called adm.helipally.com forward slash add and if you go to that address you are straight into a form which um lets you add a site in the in the you know in our structures in our format and we will moderate it typically we moderate new editions like that within 24 hours okay sure um and then the third method is is download the app it's free um, move the map to exactly where the place is, zoom all the way in until you get the field or the car park or whatever it is, and then drop the pin using the middle icon. So those are the three ways to add a site. All right. And Paddy, I was just wondering about um, gamification type things, you know, points and badges that you see in a, in a lot of, uh, you know, other social media things and, and, and apps. Is it going to be that sort of community side too where, you know, if you land at three pubs in the one day, you, you get a, a certain badge or a, uh, a point system? It's something we are looking at very carefully. We actually have already programmed a loyalty scheme into the software. Um, it's not visible within the app, but it is visible online when you log into your dashboard. Uh, it's, we haven't told anyone about it, 
but it is there. And um, in fact, what we've done is we've put in the software platform to be able to record landings uh, and for the site owner where you landed to be able to track those landings. And what we are in the process of doing is setting up a scheme with the site owners whereby we will encourage them to offer pilots incentives to come in. Oh, cool. So that's, that is uh, very much in the pipeline. Okay, is there any big features we've missed in that sort of coverage? Because um, I'm keen to just quick, before we finish up, talk about um, you know, one of your upcoming trips too. No, no, the, 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 we pretty much got it. We have also on the web version, we have a, some people call it a tech log, some people call it a DATCON, but we have the ability for you to record your, your flights and you can download those into a format which is acceptable as a flight, you know, as a logbook for, for pilots. And uh, we haven't pushed that feature because actually we are uh, about to launch a sister app called TechLog, which will integrate very nicely with Helipelly, which will allow you to, to record flights. If you're like me, you land somewhere, you shut down the helicopter, you look at the engine reading. Some people call it a Hobbes meter, I think, in Australia. But you look at the, the, the TechLog reading. Uh, by the time you've walked 100 yards away from the helicopter, you've forgotten it. So we're designing an app which will be super easy to record your your flights. And um, I just tested the beta this morning. It's it's great fun. We're looking forward to launching that. So that's um, that's actually for more for for recording flights for pilots. Okay, sure. Um, and uh, yeah, what's it like on battery life? Um, both of them, like the probably not so much the new one, but uh, Helipaddy. Is it? Have you got any measurements on on battery drain and, and things like that? Yeah, we, uh, I, I don't think we have any specific statistics that I can reliably tell you, but I use a lot of apps. You know, we're very inquisitive here. We download hundreds of apps and we l- try to compare our battery usage to them to make sure that we're always lower. Um, now, there are two big uses of battery, which are really the GPS and the data trips to the server and back. And we do two things to make that good. And I don't think everyone does this because uh, we we reckon we are using quite new technology, um, a thing called Node.js, which makes it as light as it possibly can. So firstly, on the data, we designed the app from the very beginning to work up in the air. For pilots, so we assume that the connection is very shaky. So the whole app works on a cached basis, and if you haven't got a signal, it works fine. I mean, I've used it on EasyJet at thirty thousand feet, so it only uses data when it gets a strong signal. So that uses much less power. And the GPS, we use a clever, a clever mechanism, which is where we, we only for the co-position of the friend finder, we borrow the. Uh, location that other apps are generating. So we don't generate our own GPS calls. We only borrow existing ones. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we, those, those are a couple of optimizations. But, um, um, and, and the operating system itself gets better and better and better as well. So actually, it's pretty, it, the days of having a red-hot iPhone are, are pretty uh, are in the past. <laughs> I find always at the end of the day, though, I'm still kind of looking at a red bar, no matter <laughs> what I do with my phone. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you can imagine I have Halle Paddy permanently open all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's certainly not, the phone lasts a day, no problem. Yeah. 
Perfect. Okay, well, that's a, a pretty good intro, and, and if anyone's keen to, to give that a try, they can have a look at helipay.com or just in the App Store, sure. just look for Helipay, and it's pretty easy to, to find and, and install and have a crack at that. So, um, yeah, and give them some feedback. They're on Facebook and Twitter and all those sorts of things. But, uh, Paddy, I was just going to say, can you tell us a bit about the... So, you know, you spoke about the, the North Pole trip, and you're now going to head south. Can you talk a little bit about this trip? Well, it is one of the same pilots who, or two of them actually, who are looking to go to the South Pole, and um, it require it's it's particularly complicated because one of the helicopters is Russian registered and is not allowed to fly through North America VFR, um, and you it's not an IFR helicopter, so it can't go through America. So it means if you're coming from Europe direction, the only way you can get to the South Pole is to go to the Cape Verde Islands, which are just off the west coast of Africa near Mauritania. And then you've got to somehow get from the Cape Verde Islands to uh, Brazil, which is, I don't know, 1,500 miles. So we need to find a landing site uh, in the middle of the Atlantic there, which is probably going to be a, a rusty old oil tanker. And then once we get to South America, it's a relatively straightforward trip down to the uh, Antarctic Peninsula. And then we need to organize, uh, we've got range extenders, uh, which are sort of rubber tanks in the helis. So then we need to, we have roughly five to 600 miles of range. And then we organize fuel dumps every 600 miles, uh, jet A fuel, all the way down to the pole. And that is extremely complicated and frankly, ridiculously expensive because there's, there's just, there is only one provider of that service. So we are currently working on the regulation, uh, the, the approvals and the fuel logistics. And I can't even tell you how much the fuel costs. It's, it's, um, uh, there is a point at which one barrel is $43,000. Yeah, I can only, only imagine the uh, positioning cost for, for some of those areas down there. Yeah. But I mean, even, even launching off the, those islands west of Africa, you know, heading to a uh, a container ship or, or whatever it is there in the middle. That's uh, yeah, that really gets the, the heart uh, pounding too. Thinking about doing that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, with, with some, yeah, uh, it's it's got all sorts of. I mean, we we can't really use more than half a tank in case the weather's too bad and we have to go back. Yeah. So we're just doing the logistics for that at the moment. I mean, we we're trying for December this year, but I think it could drop to December next year. Okay, well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you pull it off and, and get that done, we'll have to get you back on to hear some of yeah, the details from that. Sure. Top. So, look, Paddy, thank you very much. It's, uh, yeah, you know, you're doing something really interesting there and uh, looking forward to seeing how it, uh, it grows and, and what happens here in Australia with it. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much for sharing and having the time for us. You're welcome, Nick. Thanks very much indeed. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Paddy Wills from helipaddy.com. You can find the app in the different app stores or and basically download and give it a, a go for free. I'm sitting here with the app open at the moment and there's just a one location marked in Australia. So it'd be really good to watch it sort of take off and grow as it gets launched here in our part of the world. If you're in Europe especially though, there are hundreds of locations with descriptions and different notes to trawl through. And it's really actually it's quite interesting seeing you know, some of the more unique spots that uh, are out there. If you've got a story about using the app or you know, finding a, an interesting location, whether you've landed there or you've found it inside the, the map, then drop a comment on the show notes for episode 33 
at rotarywingshow.com. Now, if you've been a lurker for a while and you're working your way back through the episodes, and I know there's heaps of you because I get to see the stats as they come through, my challenge for you this week is to go and leave a comment on the website under your favourite episode so far. The website, again, it's rotarywingshow.com. You can troll back through the episodes and see photos and videos that relate to each episode. And yeah, leave a comment on your top episode as I'd love to know the type of things that really resonate with you and that you guys find interesting. Listener Chris Blanche shared a story on Facebook this week that he had a chance to catch up with Peter Costa from way back in episode one over in southern British Columbia where they're working on a forest fire there. So that's super cool to you know, hear stories like that come back in from out in the field and I'd love to hear yours too. World Helicopter Day is getting really close now, 16th of August, so it's only a few weeks away. I'm getting really pumped for that. So there are a couple of open days so far. We've got two in Quebec in Canada, uh, Pennsylvania, there's one in New York State in the USA, Somerset in the UK, and in Brisbane here in Australia. Staff from Honeywell have also been in contact about doing something on the day. Al is a copywriter in the UK. He's helped me get a media release together that you can download and put in your details for your company and basically send that out to your local press to get some coverage that way. You can grab that and other open day organiser resources, including a, a colouring in a drawing for kids off the worldhelicopterday.com website. It's not too late. If you do want to have an open day or a barbecue as part of the event, then you can still get the details through on the website and have your event listed on the worldwide site. I've made a post about World Helicopter Day in several online forums, so if you do see it there and could bump the thread with a word of support, that would be amazing and really help the day out too. Lots more coming in in future episodes, so make sure to subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, including an interview with probably one of the the most well-known pilots in the world. I don't want to jinx it just yet, so I won't share the name, but uh, you'll just have to keep listening in and see if I can pull that off. And on that note, I'll leave you hanging. I've been your host, Mick Cullen. Catch you in the next episode of the Rotary Wing Show.